Hey, everybody. Welcome to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today is January 26th, 2023, and I've got two guests on this week's episode. First up, Alan Cumming, the award-winning actor, singer, and everything, talks about his new gig hosting the U.S. version of the reality competition show, The Traitors. He also talks about his return as host of AARP's Movies for Grown-Up Awards in Los Angeles on January 28th. Then later in the show, Avon Georgia. Most known for his work as a child star in Victorious, Georgia joins me to talk about his directorial debut, Dormouse, and why thirst trap marketing proved fruitful in getting people to watch his movie. I'll be back with Alan Cumming after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm talking to Alan Cumming. The actor recently made his reality competition show hosting debut of Peacock's The Traitors. The series, which originated in the Netherlands, is an elaborate game of mafia, with not-so-famous celebs like Ryan Lochte and Brandy Glanville competing against so-called regular people for cash prizes. I caught up with Cumming in New Zealand, where he was touring his one-man cabaret show, Alan Cumming is not acting his age. We talked reality TV and also his return stateside to host AARP's Movies for Grownups Awards in Los Angeles on January 28th. Plus, I ask him when we'll be seeing him back on Broadway. Hi, Mike. How are you? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Hi. Uh, can you? How are you doing? I'm good. Are you sure you can hear me? I can definitely hear you, yes. Okay, good. How are you? Pretty good. I'm just waking up in uh, in New Zealand. Well, I've been up in Los Angeles, so here we go. <laughs> what, what, what time is it? It is 11.46 a.m. Gorgeous. Oh, that's not too bad, actually. Because I thought it'd be... Anyway, Sweet. I'm just so screwed up with all these time zones. I'm moving different places all the time, and... So are you actually waking up on Tuesday? Is it Tuesday for you now? Oh, yes, yes. Are you waking up on Monday? <laughs> yep, it's Monday here. <laughs> oh, that's why. Yes, that, that makes sense then. Um, so I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're, you you got to get to an airport and such. Um, so let's talk about movies for grownups. So my question, yes. my first question for you is, when did you first feel like you were grown up? Do you feel like a grown up? It's so funny because I, I talk about this in my um, show that I'm doing here uh, about this exact thing. And it's, um, I, I actually only felt I was a grown up when I was um, asked to play Eli Gold and The Good Wife, because that was the moment when I thought, I actually remember thinking, why are they asking me to do this? <laughs> because I'd only ever, I hadn't really played real people before that and I was like mm. I remember I said why are they asking me he's, he's a middle-aged guy in a suit and I went wait <laughs> I'm a middle-aged guy if I put a suit on bingo and so 
that was that was actually the moment. I know it's quite late on, but uh, that I actually felt like, oh yeah, I can do this. I'm a grown up. I can. That's why they're asking me. So I think it comes comes to people at different times. When when you hit the set with Christine Baranski, were you like, I'm a grown up now? <laughs> no, no, I kept that to myself. <laughs> no, it was when I did the Good Wife, like oh, you know, it was, it was years ago. It was like 2010 yeah. or something. It was relatively, you know late on in my age to have realized such a thing. Do you still feel like a grown-up or was it a one-off? No, I feel like a grown-up now. I think I just, I think that uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm really fascinated by the whole idea of aging. That's what my show is about right now. I mean, it's mm. called Alan Cumming is not acting as age. And I, 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 I think you can be, you know, you can be a grown-up and do grown-up things, but still have curiosity and still be, youthful in your outlook at life and I think that's what we're all fighting I mean I have these imaginary people these sort of little people with clipboards uh mean little people sort of saying they're the acting your age please mm. and tell you what you've got to do like you've got to just play golf now instead of dancing and wear more cardigans and things and I think those I think we're fighting against that all the time against people other people's ideas of what we should how we should live our lives and how we should age and so i'm i'm constantly sort of just thinking i'm going to do what i want i'm going to do what i like and, and you know and i think that's what we've got to fight against i mean it's so i literally i literally not literally i just turned 53 last week happy birthday thank you thank you and this whole idea of what is 53 how are you supposed to act I still feel like I'm the class clown. I don't know what that, what it means. I mean, we had ideas when we were kids. I mean, I remember when I was, you know, coming out and going to the bars and being like, if I'm 30 and I'm in a gay bar, shoot me. Oh, God. You know, you and it, it's just this idea of what being a grown up is all about. And my thing is like, act your age, it's just act yourself. You don't want to exactly. play golf? Don't play golf. You want to go dancing? Go dancing. It doesn't matter how old you are. Absolutely. I'm totally with you. But, but you know, we are up against it because people are very, I mean, in all areas of life, you know, very judgy about there's an order that we must. And yeah. I think the whole thing about the order about aging has been sort of uh, in place for so long. Mm. And, it's, and it's been magnified by Hollywood yeah. uh, in, a, in a very unhelpful way so it's nice i think that there's sort of people that are taking it upon themselves to sort of try and hold a mirror up and change things well i love that this award show is the one award show where i think um celebrities actually brag about their age and how old they are uh, yes <laughs> it's a safe space <laughs> <laughs> it's funny it is such a fun um show actually i've done that a few times I know. Uh, really a hoot. What are some of the grown-up films that you've watched um, in the past year that you really love? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I there's a couple of films I just really thought were, I, I loved everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm. For me, that was that was an incredible film piece of filmmaking and some great, you know, performances by a couple of act, uh, several actors who have, uh, you know, and Jamie's getting the. Um, Career Achievement Award. I thought that was amazing. I thought To Leslie mm. with Andrea Risborough was a stunning, like an incredible performance. 
yeah. really well directed too by Michael Moore. So those are a couple of the things that both those films are kind of slightly outside the Hollywood machine in terms. I mean, it's obviously everything everywhere all at once is doing really well, but it's it's really there. It's sort of those are the films that kind of interest me more. The sort of maverick, slightly going against the cookie cutter grain of how of what we see. And I think I, I really hope that people who are making the decisions about what films get financed are are listening and see that people want new and different kind of things. I mean, obviously your career, you've done the spectrum, you've done the big blockbuster, you've done the tentpole movies, you've done very independent movies. Is there that one project out there that still you're yearning to do or someone you really want to work with that you haven't worked with yet? No, I mean, there, uh, no, is the short answer. I, I don't yearn. I don't think yearning is a very healthy thing to do. I all I, I keep myself open and uh, to possibilities and you know and frankly weird things <laughs> some of, like the traitors for instance I, why why did they ask me to do that I had such a blast doing it and um, so you know things like that I really um, enjoy just sort of you know I am eclectic and I think eclecticism breeds eclecticism and. I was just thinking, you know, last year the, the, the projects that I did, I I I did a a solo dance theatre piece I, uh, with the National Theatre of Scotland. I da- I became a dancer at age fifty seven, mm. and that was inc- about Robert Burns, you know, the, my national poet. So it was incredible. It was an incredible thing to do on so many levels. And then I did uh, a movie in which I played Freud, and I did the, another thing of Chicago, uh, the follow up to Chicago Schmigadoon. Yeah. I did, and I did the traitors. It was just just a random selection of really intense things, but so so different. And that's what I like. I, I that's that's, and I think I actually love the idea that people see me in a way where they think, "Well, he might do this," or you know, mm. it's, it's a bit of a left field choice. But I, I think it's just great to be open to different things. I really, and also you have, you know, sometimes you have the most fun in the most random places. Doing the traitors was <laughs> hilarious. Elliot. Did you um, did you did. know about the traders beforehand? Be, were you a fan of the original version, or was it something so new to you? Also, oh god, no, I never. I mean, because well, it was only done in Holland before. Right. Before, so uh, I think I, they, you know, when they were asking asked me to do it, I thought what? And they sent <laughs> me the, they sent me the Dutch one. I watched it, but uh, and that's you know, I was it was that was I was obsessed with that, but. Then and then when they told me like how they, you know, I had a talk with them and, and I basically got I said I said to them, "Oh, you want me to do this like a James Bond villain?" Mm. And they were like, "Yes." And so so getting to sort of camp it up <laughs> in a in a in a in a form that is not that at all, and getting to sort of play a character, it was so. Mm. I mean, that's what's that's what's that's what I like is like going into something uh, that people think they know what it is, and then sort of you know shaking it up and doing something different with it. Have that, you- that was really exciting to me. Have you spoken to him about a season two already? Is it happening? Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not been greenlit. It's sort of been, um, you know, availability checks and stuff, all that stuff. But no, it hasn't been. Um, nothing definite yet. Although it's it's only Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to do a second season? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I thought it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had such fun. I did a splash. I was surprised to hear that. Neither you nor the contestants actually stay in the castle. 
I know. That's true. You don't. Actually, they, I stayed in a nice little house in Inverness. They stayed <laughs> in the uh, Edinburgh, I mean, uh, in Inverness uh, Airport Hotel. <laughs> and also, and also they were sort of trapped in it. They weren't allowed to um, <clears throat> talk to each other and everything. So they sort of to stay in the rooms. Didn't have phones. Wow. And they had security to sort of make sure they didn't, you know, be naughty. That's amazing. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, Absolutely. So who, if there is a season two, who's your dream cast? Who would you love to see oh, as a contestant? I don't, I don't, I have no knowledge of that world. And I wouldn't, I mean, I, I just, I, 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 you know, this has been a, an education for me and a whole new uh, thing I didn't even know existed. So I, I'm no expert on that. But I mean, I, 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 I just, you know, <laughs> it seems to me there's a lot of, Personal. I actually, we, you know, the British one didn't have um, uh, reality celebrities. Right. It just had real people, and, uh, uh, and and I don't know. I think I'm. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure why they do that, but obviously it kind of pips things up. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know who I would choose. It's not my field of expertise, alas. I just, I just feel like you would get a Spice Girl or one or two in that castle. Sure, that would be hilarious. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I, 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 it was. It's it's such fun, and, and also I think what's what I realized, you know, I've been sort of talking a lot about it. But I think is that people. It's so fascinating to see people lie. Mm. We you know blatantly lie because we all lie all the time, and I think we. It's just so juicy to see people do it, and see how good or bad they are. Were you a fan of this kind of reality television before, or this really no. is just your complete awakening? I, like, not, not at all. I mean, I'd seen in hotel. I don't really watch TV, and you know, I, I, it's sort of like I, I go to this room and watch something on purpose. Right. I don't just do. I don't just put it on. But when I'm in hotels and things, I sort of right. flick through it. So I, I, you know, I, I, I do sometimes watch. And you know they're kind of like crack. A lot of these shows, you just can't help <laughs> go on to the next one. So, but I had I so I. But it's not. No, I don't. I'm not a reality TV um, person. I guess now I am. <laughs> now you are. <laughs> That's right. Um, when are we going to see you on Broadway again, Alan? I I I don't know. I don't know. There's sort of various. You know, there's always various. Things it's like, yes, you're juggling possibilities, but there's no, nothing um, definite. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm really enjoying doing these concerts. Like, I do this, mm -hmm. my show, Alan Cummings, I think it's age. And then I do, I'm doing a thing <clears throat> in next thing in New York. I'm doing at the Cathy Carlisle for two weeks in April with Ari Shapiro from NPR. We do a show together called Oi right. and Oi. So <laughs> I'm doing that with Ari, which will be a hoot. At the Carlisle, which is always fun to perform at the Carlisle. Listen, um, but first, per you know who the first person I saw perform at the Carlisle? Who? Eartha Kitt. Wow. Wow. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Eartha Kitt it's at the Carlisle. It's such an incredible room because it's like this pokey little place and people are, you know, you have to elbow your way past waiters to get up to the yes. stage. But it's so sort of legendary and you, you really feel it is a beautiful room to play. Even though people are munching on, I was in, I did a live album there, and I actually stopped the show because a lady had a steak, it was so huge, and eating it basically at my feet. And I said, I thought that was a baked potato. I thought it was a huge baked potato. It was actually a 
lump of carcass. This is great for a vegan to be emoting above a smelly old steak. But you know that's showbiz, I suppose. Did you make did you make them take it away? I just sort of shamed her into not eating it. I mean, she just kind of like left it to the side of her plate after that. <laughs> that that's good advice. If anyone's going to see Alan coming at Cafe Cafe Carlisle, make sure yeah, please have the salad. <laughs> have the salad, not too crunchy, because we don't want to disturb yeah. you. Well, I don't mind the clinking of glasses and, and, and cutlery. I don't mind that. It's just the sort of smell of rotten flesh, you know, that's wafting up as I'm singing some emotional song. That's I, I draw the line. <laughs> what What is the song that you get most emotional singing? Um, there's uh, in this show, I I sing. Um, uh, um, what's it called again? When we were young, mm. see all the songs are kind of about aging. So I sing "When We Were Young" by Adele, and it's a it's a, such a beautiful song. It's also, you know, it's just so mournful and sad. It's about sort of the past and loss, and a relationship that's gone wrong or or something. And so I, I yeah, that one, that one just gets me. It's such a builder as well. I love a builder. You love a builder. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> Um, Alan, thank you so much. I know you have to get to the airport. This was awesome. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, slowly and, packing as I speak to you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I gotcha. And I will um, see you next week at the grown uh, movie movies for grown ups awards. And I promise not to be eating a steak in front of you. That'd be nice. All right, I, I look forward. Thanks. Bye Safe bye. travels. That was Alan Cumming. We're going to take a short break right now, but when we return. Avin Georgia joins me to talk about his directorial debut, Dormouse, and the decision behind his Thirst Trap marketing campaign. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Avon Georgia is best known for his work as a teen heartthrob on the tween show Victorious. Now 30 years old, Georgia recently made his directorial debut with Dormouse, an indie noir starring Haley Lou. Georgia also wrote and co-stars in the movie. I talked to Georgia shortly after he released a TikTok video showing his shirtless body. Sometimes you have to take marketing into your own hands and that's what he did. Hoping TikTok users watched for his bod, the video then shows him asking people to watch Dormouse. Here's Avon Georgia. Hello. Hello. Hey, let's see if I can see you put my thing on. Hello. Hey. What's up, buddy? Hi, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know, I just um I just uh, flew out of ballet and I've gotten to Thank you for the Q and A for this film. So it's uh, I've been sort of running around like a chicken with my head cut off, but um, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, yeah I'm happy that's finally starting to settle and still doing press stuff and all that stuff. How about yourself? 
I'm good. Just LA. It's cold in LA, but probably colder in Vancouver, I imagine. Yeah, you know what's funny? I actually I've I just got because I went from LA to I think it's colder in LA. Something about, oh, the, really? something about the desert at night. It's like you're just more exp- I don't know what it is. It's just like the you in the universe, and it's like way uh colder. We get overcast, so it's like sort of insular in a way. Right. Yeah. So congratulations. Hey, thanks. You write, you direct, and you star in a movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I starred by uh, happenstance because we shot this during COVID, uh, like like before there was a vaccine mandate or any of that stuff, like right. early COVID, and there was quarantines in Canada, and it, you know it was nuts. So I, I uh, the only reason I'm acting in it is because, you know, I, it's all hands on deck, and I couldn't get to and, uh, my the actor I wanted to come in quarantine in Canada, but um, but yeah, I do. I, I wrote it and I directed it, and uh, you know, it's a it was a it's a hell of an undertaking. Yeah, tell me about taking that. That's a lot to undertake to do yeah. all of that. It's like sometimes just direct, sometimes just star, maybe just write. Yeah. And I'm, I imagine you're a producer on it too. So it's like. Yeah, so, you know, indie filmmaking, it's all, it's it's DIY. I mean, like you don't have a, you don't have a studio behind you. Um, your, your tenacity becomes the engine of the film. Um, right. And when you're making a DIY, um, film it's like you know the the if you stay on it it some things happen if you don't it goes away and so i wrote this seven years ago um like basically at the uh like i was 23 i just got off of these two big shows for teens and um i got off them and you know that sort of shia labeouf media acting roles weren't really there for me as a brown man this is like 2013-14 those roles just didn't exist Right. You come off of this sort of like this idea of like, okay, I've, I've done the team things. I'm going to use that as a, a leap board to go do some real work. The real work wasn't really even there for me. So mm-hmm. I started writing um, and I wrote this because uh, I wanted like, I wanted to see actors of color in a noir, just like a noir that we'd seen a thousand times before. There's nothing specifically unique or special about this noir other than the fact that, you know, you get to see, people of color, you know, have the trench coat and smoke the cigarette and drink the whiskey and do the thing, you know what I mean? Do the noir thing. Um, and so I, yeah, I wrote this it sort of like as a, as a way of like um, sort of getting my frustrations out, not just about the industry at large, but also my uh, frustrations about the world. This is the, before there was a mainstream understanding of, you know, the abuses of power in the justice system and the abuses of power um of the of the wealthy and all that stuff and then like i realized that like directing and writing is it's not like it's it's not easier you know, <laughs> you know what i mean like i got out of the acting thing and i was like wow the rules i don't want are here you know will be like less have less resistance trying to direct and write that's not true <laughs> um and so i <laughs> went through that process and realized uh, as i got towards the end of it like as unfortunately the world became more aware of the darknesses like this is like i wrote this before um epstein i wrote this before um the blm movement and the understanding of like the police system and how it works for some people and not for others Mm. and so like the film sort of caught up with um the times and what was going on and then there was open doors but i mean for seven years you just have to have a lot of uh tenacity to keep to keep um and, you know, uh, tenacity is also like you have to be angry enough to be like, oh, I think this actually is worth saying. Talk to me more about, you know, after doing those, you know, 
earlier shows, was your team or were you yourself telling yourself, oh yeah, I'm going to get those Shia LaBeouf roles. I'm, I'm going to get like, there's no yeah. question there. I think people talk, I mean, I think that's definitely like, um, there was definitely conversation around of like, hey, you're, you look the part. You are, you like, you know, you're the, it's the leading man time. And, and, and the thing is, is that what we were going through was a renaissance for, there was a lot of, um, the industry was moving away from uh, white men into, into more white women. Talking about like the beginning of the Hunger Games and the beginning of Divergent. And that was like sort of what the industry was doing. And that was their, that was their progress at the time, right. 2013, 2014. They're like, that's the progress. We're doing the, the next step. Mm. Um, so that sort of like getting off the teen show and then it's the nineties and, you know, the Keanu Reeves parts are there. The Johnny Depp parts are there. The Christian Slater parts are there. The, the Ethan Hawke parts are there. None of those were happening. What was there and what I built a career off of is being the person who listens to the woman as she goes through what she's going through. And so what I actually had myself positioned in was like something that happened to a lot of women of color in the 90s, Halle Berry's and, and all these people where you became this sort of integral side character that assisted with the leads and was, rom as it was, a, rom and was a romantic interest. Mm. And so that was what was available to me. And I, it's, it was a pretty thin meal, you know, it's a tiny right. bit unsatisfying, um, especially because I'm as much as I'm interested in like like career progression. I'm more interested in growth as an actor, like, mm -hmm. and being challenged by the, by the industry. And um, yeah, there's no dead poet society after, you know, like there's no, like, uh, you know, those, those, those mo movies just weren't being made. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and so, yeah, so I, I found, I think that definitely there was people around me who um, I think unconsciously were, they're not necessarily selling me a, um, yeah, selling me a different, like they're not necessarily selling me something that wasn't possible, mm. but I just think it wasn't big. It was, it was, they didn't have the insight to see what was actually happening culturally within the industry. Right. And so for me, it's like, um, yeah. Anyway. Do you remember going up for big parts and feeling like, oh, this is just going to go to the white dude, like, or, oh, maybe there is progress being made or, they were just, yeah, I mean, even, team. yeah, there was a part of me that like, okay, so <laughs> in order to keep the dream alive mm. and to show up every day and to do it as long as I have been doing it, yeah. it does take a certain, you have to believe in the dream. Mm. You have to believe in the, because it is possible. It happens every once in a while, but right. it's about the margins of possibility. And they are different margins of possibility are different for different people. Right. Um, and that that's something that I think I became more aware of. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like I was always in the mix. That's the thing about being like where I'm at or being the person that I am and being like sort of like um, prototypical of a particular type of actor we've seen before. If you're prototypical, uh, like a, if you fit into the archetype of like the Keanu Reeves, Johnny Depp, Christian Slater, like that, that thing, you fit into that archetype and you do the team thing, just like they, they did. 
mm-hmm. you're and and you're good enough you're in the mix but you know there's there's also it comes a point where um it's also what the industry is pursuing mm. um and what they're they're in, the industry's interested in making and in pursuing your dreams we've got to talk about your unique marketing um thirst i call it thirst trap marketing yeah it's a- um, <laughs> whose idea was that um where did it come from was it something you planned or was it sort of you were no, just no it's, like- it's it's a, it's i was a, i think it was a reaction to um seeing what uh penetrates for lack of better of a word um the uh <laughs> the, the algorithm <laughs> you know the algorithm <laughs> the algorithm <laughs> the algorithm itself is um i think that there is you know I, there's a lot of artists uh, i think people who make stuff are are finding the algorithm a kind of complicated beast because it likes being fed what it likes being fed right and so it was i i and I and I do like playing with meta, like I like the meta ness of <laughs> of playing with what the. I also cut um, a version of my film with transitions from Victorious, the old show that I did, right. um, because the algorithm likes being fed what it likes being fed, and it will it will it will push out videos that that. Um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, have sort of a, a simple fucking, you know, um, uh, concept or, or are, are, you know, who uh, instigate an instant feeling or, you know, that's just how this the thing works. And so as I was going through sort of like funny things to do, um, yeah, I just it was a meta thing. You know, it's like I just like the idea of playing with what um, people expect out of me. And then also being able to supplant them, like when they go and actually watch the film, that's like about the abuses of power, and you know, mm-hmm. like the pretty, pretty like dark and serious yeah. film that they, you know, that they, that they, that they, it's almost like a, almost like a joke for me, you know. I mean, I look, I look through your TikTok, and the TikTok that had the most views mm-hmm. is the blue-eyed filter TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. And you literally say nothing. You're just like, yeah, I'd be really bad with these blue eyes. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No, I know. And it's and this is this is it. This is it. Like, there's a simplicity to it all, and then then it becomes. Then you see how, and then you can see it on the other side. Like that's very inorganic, where you see like you know I don't know like some you see like you know Slim Jim like trying to like like commenting on on videos and trying to be like hip, right and. uh it's just, it's a very bizarre way to market. I mean, I, I know, I, I guess I don't even think of it as, I guess I don't even think of it as marketing. It's like where I'm playing. Part of it is also playing with the, the social, the kind of the social fi- fiber, the web that we're, that we're all a part of um, without, with, you know, without even like, without even our, our actual, like, I don't know if we're even complying to be a part of it, but we are, you know, like part of it, like, and so there's things that, that get, pushed to the forefront uh, through the algorithm. I, I'm, I've always been interested in what this is going to do to art and who gets it, who's right. allowed to make it, yeah. what you're allowed, what kind of art you're allowed to make yeah. and what art is going to be allowed to be seen. And I mean, there's no, okay, here's a great example. We shouldn't be talking right now. 
I made a little indie, right? That Variety would not talk about generally. Mm-hmm. But then the thirst trap creates a marketing <laughs> concept. And then the media responds and it's an echo chamber of us and talking. It's, so it's here we are. <laughs> but it works. Yeah. It so works. Point. It works. And it's fun. Like it's like a, you know, again, like this is a punk rock DIY film. Like this is a right. handmade film. Like it, I it, it's um especially in the indie film world, you're taking films kicking and screaming into the world. Yeah. And then you know, I've I edited every trailer for this film. I edited every piece of marketing material. Wow. Because I care about the film, and and if you stay, if again, and if you're like you think that this film has something to say, um, or you know, you you uh, you stay on it, and it becomes and part of that again DIY thing is like looking at the the beast that is social, um, um, the social the social experiment that is social media, and seeing like how, what's a little funny, what's a little where's there a little loophole, where a little gap in the thing where you can try to try to bring a marketing idea to the forefront or get people to see something that they wouldn't normally see. Did yeah. you ever think you'd be using your body? <laughs> well, you know, as an actor, it's part of the, uh, part and parcel of the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> part of the marketing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. It, I, um, no, because, but I, but I also like the joke. Yeah. I mean, the joke is the thing that's, uh, cause it's, it's half the, Half of the people's enjoyment of that video is, yes, the sort of thirst trappiness of it. But also it's the joke about the joke. It's it's no. making fun of that this is how we have to, you know, when you see all these influence, influences um, selling fit tea, you know, with I their know. like, you know, with their like, you know, in like, like with their like in the gym just with their shirt off. It's like, this is what we're talking about. Like, this is how, um, that's funny to me. Where it's, the whole thing is funny. When my ed, my editor texted me your TikTok, <laughs> and I started watching it. And I was like, "Is he drunk? Why is he?" And then obviously I watched it. I'm like, "You know what? It worked." Yeah, it worked. and that's it, right? We're like it, you know, the old um, and it's, and and not to get too serious, but there's there's a there's a there's a scarier version of this where people know these things. And create mistakes and stuff on purpose to manipulate the audience. And it's interesting. Like it, it is. Um, yeah, I, I think we're getting to a very weird place with uh, with marketing. And ultimately, though, I mean, for the film itself, like there's these people who come for the, the, the thirst trap or whatever. And then but then there's also like there's a film with that resonates with them. And when you're trying to make a film for a specific group of people who you want to see the film, it's amazing what can start as one thing and then become a very different thing. So has it paid off? Did you see views of the movie go up? Um, After- I've seen, yeah, I've seen a lot. I've, you know, I've seen a lot, a lot of people who watch the film who probably wouldn't. And then, uh, and then, and then they, then they text me this thing. Then they DM me this like really moving thing about the film and about like a real good anal, 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 like um, a really good, like sort of, deep dive into what's the film about right. off of a thirst trap. It's great. Who were your mentors in putting this film together? Who did you turn to? You know, it's funny. I really, I really wish I had more, uh, really wish I had more mentors. I mean, I think that like, I felt very much on my own on this film, which is also mm-hmm. probably why 
you know, why I feel like I, you know, you end up handcrafting all these, all these things, marketing things or whatever. Um, uh, I, uh, I had the, the real great luck of working with Greg Araki, who I think is an amazing filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and just picking their brain. And um, I was, I was lucky to, I was, I've, I've been in great hands. Mm. You know, 15 years of acting, you know, <laughs> seen stuff. yeah, you've seen the stuff you've seen. I think you've seen a lot of stuff not work. And then that becomes also part of it. So what, what's the next film you want to make? What's the um, next script you have? I am obsessed with, um, I think so often people of the reason why I made this film and not a film about like, I don't know, being mixed race. And like, I probably could get that film made in an hour. Mm. Uh, I made a film that has nothing that, 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 that my identity is not what sells the film. And that's another version of this, which is like trauma for currency, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like um, that exchange. Um, I'm obsessed with seeing people of color in stuff we've seen before. That's sort of, iconic concepts of, that are sort of iconic, like a film noir or like, you know, and this plugging in people we haven't seen before, do it. Mm. That's sort of my mission. If I have a mission statement for films, um, uh, uh, I, that's what I want to do. I want to make films where like, um, so that people of color are not always connected to trauma. Because right. yeah. at a certain point as filmmakers, we, we have to take a responsibility for, um, for exploiting our, our own pain. trauma. Yeah. Pain. And anyone, everyone of everyone of color, LGBTQ people, and there's no shame in that. Like that is, there's some great films that have come out of that. And there's a hell of a lot of great careers that are started with that idea. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a film uh, that shows the world that I can world build and I can create a story that's, imaginative and fairy tale like that has nothing to do with my identity so what's that next genre you want to you want to tackle some horror something in horror i got really a really cool genre for exploring and um and sci-fi sci-fi has always been there for people of color um uh and as a way to explore different uh, combinations and stuff i like like stuff like bridgerton Mm. marvelous it's jane austen it's not like we're not reinventing the wheel here Right, right, right. watching other people do it. And that's what my film was supposed to be. It's like film noir. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're just watching other people do it. And it has merit, you know, as a genre. So uh, my last question for you, you talk about, you know, the opportunities weren't there for you as someone of color. Mm. Are the opportunities there for you now? I think it's, I think it's changing and developing. I think that, um, but again, that's why I'm making films. The way the op- the type of opportunities I think need to like like I, again, I uh, the connection of identity to tragedy is I think limiting um, the amount of roles that people can people like me can go and do. Um, as we just I just want to make vampire movies with brown and black people. I want to make I, just, I you know what I mean? Like I just want to like and i think the audience wants that too Mm. and so um to answer your question in short maybe where i think hope this is my little submission as a film um conceptually 
that hopefully that we we go and pursue uh, just making films that allow these actors to become stars because that's that's something that's just not there I think mm -hmm. right now. This is awesome. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a good start for my weekend. It was a good conversation yeah. on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> I congratulations. congratulations. I'm glad we got to chat. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I can't, can't wait to see what you do next. Awesome. Thanks so much. That was Avon Georgia. And that's it for this week's Just for Variety. Thanks for listening. Until next time, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all breaking and exclusive Hollywood news, you know where to go. Go to Variety.com. See you next time. Mm -hmm.